thing, all right? We are in a series called Uncommon Sense on the book of Proverbs from the Bible's Old Testament. This is part nine. So you can watch all of them online. We've, they're all on our Facebook page, YouTube website, and so on. I hope that you are benefiting somewhat from the book of Proverbs. Uh, this is a very practical book. If you're new to the Bible and you don't have a whole lot of time on your hands and you're looking for something to try to change the mood of your day, you should read a few Proverbs every day. Uh, not just one, read a few of them. And you will see it will alter in some ways the mood and the sort of... Um, uh, uh, flavor of your day. They are great for that. They're easily uh, memorized, and that's the whole point. And Proverbs are written in a style to try and help people make wise choices in life. Remember, they are not 100% warranty guarantees from God kind of thing. They're true in a general sense. So in general, if you do such and such, in general, the outcome is going to be such and such. This is what you call wisdom literature in the Bible, and Proverbs is the most commonly known one. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the subject of discipline. The subject of discipline, not necessarily a popular subject, but one that the Proverbs, I mean, it's all over the place in this book of Proverbs. So I want to talk to you about the dilemma of discipline, dilemma, do I discipline, do I not discipline, what is discipline, I'm not sure I like it, I'm not sure how to do it, it's something of a dilemma, especially in our society, all right, let me give you a little sampling of what the Proverbs say about it, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, I put them on the screen, you can take a little screenshot if you want to look them up and reread them this week, whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. It's in the Bible, at least in my version, okay? You say, boy, I don't like being told I'm stupid. Well, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 13, verse 13. Whoever scorns instruction will pay for it. But whoever respects a command is rewarded. Proverbs 13, verse 18. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction is honored. Verse 24, same chapter. This is a famous one. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. Say, hate my children. Well, that's harsh. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Parents, I see a number of parents in the room. I'm going to tell you something. may sound offensive. Your job is to discipline your children. It's your job. I'm not talking about hitting them with a stick, okay? Back in that culture, you know, that's the way that it was done. This is not advocating hitting your kid with a stick. It's advocating, you're laughing there, 
Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. You even had it in grade school, right? They'd hit you with a stick in grade school. I mean, you get arrested for that today, right? But the point is to discipline your children. That is your job. If you do not discipline your children, and you're going to see this borne out in the rest of the Proverbs, you are doing a great disservice to your children. Do you know why? Because they're going to go into a world where people are going to say no to them, and people are going to correct them, and people are going to discipline them, and they are going to turn into monsters because they do not know how to take it. They do not know anything about it. They've got to learn it from you. I'm pleading with you, parents. For some reason, there's a generation today that is petrified of disciplining their children. It is your job, always has been. Proverbs 15, verse 32. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. Strong language, I mean. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Listen, listen, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Strong, strong language. Chapter 21, verse 11. When a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. Simple meant in a moral sense. Low moral standards. This is the mocker. This is the simple. When a mocker is punished, the simple, they gain wisdom. By paying attention to the wise, they get knowledge. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke. Open rebuke. To rebuke means to get in someone's face and say, you are wrong. You need to be corrected. Better is open open rebuke than hidden love. Wow. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, hmm. but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wow, that is graphic language. Chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Uh, chapter 27, verse 17 this is another famous one. As iron sharpens iron, take two pieces of iron, put them together, watch what happens. So one person sharpens another. Proverbs 28, verse 23, whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Proverbs 29, verse 17, Discipline, discipline, discipline. There it is again, your children. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. <laughs> Some of you say, I tried disciplining my children. All they did was give me war. <laughs> they will bring you the delights you desire. By the way, parents, and I'm picking on you, it's very difficult to discipline your children if you don't know them. If you don't have a relationship with them, if you're not friends with them, it's very difficult to discipline them. You are likely creating a recipe for rebellion. If you don't first have a foundation of a relationship, why should they listen to you when you discipline them? Right? Makes sense? So you, you've got to start there. Um, 
So I want you I want to get you to think about this word discipline for a second from a different angle and I want to ask you a question it's not a trick question it's a very difficult question to answer you you might realize I want to ask you and I'd like you to shout out some some answers to me no wrong answers here okay tell me something you you church going folk what is a Christian, a disciple of Christ, okay? A person who believes in God, okay? Someone who's born again, okay, okay? But you're all the church-going folks. You're supposed to know what it is, I think. Someone who's accepted Jesus, Someone who believes by Christ's values. Okay, okay. I mean, just pretend I don't know anything and I'm asking you. Tell me what a Christian is. You went to church yesterday. It's Monday morning. And the person next to you says, what would you do yesterday? Oh, I went to church. Oh, you're a Christian. What's a Christian? One who believes Jesus is Lord and Savior. Okay. Good. No wrong answers. Yes. One who trusts. Okay. Anybody else? I mean, you're the people who went to church on Sunday. Unless you don't say. They ask you, what'd you do on Sunday? Oh, the usual. <laughs> you had a chance right there. All you have to do is say you went to church. Oh, you went to church. They're going to ask you. They're going to ask you right away. Okay, you, you've opened the door. All you have to do is say you went to church. Okay, so yes, yes, yes to everything you said. Um, I, I'm going to admit to you something here in a sense. There is a, there is a presentation that we have of Christianity in the modern age. And it, it's presented this way all over the world. And uh, it's this idea that, uh, you know, you, you, you understand you, you, God is real. Um, you are a sinner. Uh, Christ died for you to, to pay your sin debt on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. If you turn to him, if you receive him, uh, you, you can be his child. You can be a child of God and you can be saved and you can have a relationship with God. And this is, this is a way of presenting Christianity to people. Uh, there is... This is a, there's nothing wrong with presenting Christianity in this way. It's easy to do. It's short. It's compact. You can, it's simple and so on. But I'm going to admit to you, because I've presented this to, to people for 30 years, I'm going to admit to you something that's a little hard to admit. It's incomplete, that presentation. That is an incomplete understanding of Christianity. Now, It'll get people in the door, it'll, so to speak. It, 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 will, it will introduce people to, to Christ and to the message of Christianity. But it is an incomplete understanding and an incomplete uh, presentation of what Christianity really is. Because the Christianity, if you, if you look into the New Testament, and you look into the things that Jesus says, and you look into you know the writings of the, the apostles and so on that are contained in the New Testament, 
you know just as well as I do. And those of you who have been Christians for a long time, and the word Christian appears in the Bible like once, twice, that's it. I think it's in the book of Acts once. Very, very rarely is that word used in the New Testament. Very rarely. There is another word that is used a lot more frequently in the New Testament that we don't use uh, in, typically in our presentations of Christianity to people because what Christianity is is not a moment where a person becomes a Christian. That is not really what we see in the Gospels. And we often talk about, you know, praying to receive Christ. There's even a term for this. We, we sang a song that's 111 years old today, the old rugged cross. How many of you know that hymn? Yeah, half of you, you know that hymn. I mean, there's a guy who used to sing that hymn at Billy Graham Crusades. Remember his name? George Beverly Shea, the deep, deep, deep voice. You've got to look this guy up on YouTube, some of you young people. George Beverly Shea. You will find all over YouTube, he used to accompany Billy Graham everywhere that he went to preach the gospel. And he would sing that song, The Old Rugged Cross. Now, when we look at what Jesus has to say, he talks a lot more about following him than he does about a moment, uh, some dramatic moment of conversion. Now, to be sure, there are many people who have dramatic moments of conversion. I mean, the most famous one that we have in the New Testament is Paul, who's on his way to persecute Christians and is blinded uh, by God and does an immediate about face in his life and his his mind changes toward God. We call that repentance. We and we use repentance and conversion sometimes in the same sort of uh, uh, phrase. And there's a dramatic shift in his life, Paul. But really, when you look at the New Testament, you see this concept of your following Jesus. He's your leader, and you are his follower. And the word that is used most commonly is this word disciple. And disciple is the same word as discipline. Ooh. You know, that doesn't sound as glamorous as being born again, right? Jesus talked about, he talked about being born again. Yes, indeed he did. But he spent a whole lot more time talking about following him. Take up your cross daily, he says. That is not glamorous, folks. Take up your cross daily. You know what people did when they took up crosses in the first century? They died. When they picked up a cross, they were taking it to their death. Here's Jesus saying, take up your cross daily. In other words, every day something in you has got to die. Whoa, I'm not so, so sure I want to sign on the dotted line for that. But this is, this is the real stuff of Christianity. It's about following Jesus and being his disciple and being under 
Discipline, oh my. And this, again, this is not particularly glamorous, but those of you who have been in this for a long time, you know that the real stuff of Christianity is not glamorous. It's rather unglamorous. It's rather mundane. You're learning to be a disciple. So I just want to give you two keys before we finish up today to growing as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ. You, you, one, of the, one of the great tragedies in people's minds in churches today is people who grow up in the church. They're raised in it. They're raised in Christianity. They're taught it. They're like their brains are baptized in Christianity. And they know it. They've lived in it. They never went off the rails. Their life didn't go haywire. They didn't get into, you know, drugs or this or that. They didn't, you know, they, and they had no dramatic moment of conversion and no date and no hour and no I saw a light and I was this and now I'm this and I used to be addicted to this and now I'm this. I used to worship Satan and now I, you know, and all. And they have none of that and they grow up in the church and then they hear somebody get up with this testimony and this big story of how they were dramatically converted on and they feed, they sit there in this seat and they say Ugh. and they say my I don't have that you know I don't have that I just grew up in the church oh my word what a tragedy what a tragedy I envy people who have grown up in it all their lives and their lives never went off the rails and they kept on going slow and steady wins a race I envy people like that. Do you know why, folks? I'm one of the people who's had a dramatic thing, okay? And the problem with people who have these dramatic conversion events is they get a little too hooked on the glamorous and the drama and the emotion and all of those things, and they don't realize sometimes that Christianity is slow and steady wins a race. It's a journey. It's a process. It is a lifetime. It is not just one dramatic moment. And that's why sometimes people who have these dramatic conversions, sometimes they're a lot quicker to fall away than the people who grew up and were raised in the church. Sometimes. Because people who stick with it, they start to learn the non-glamorous stuff of living Christianly. And they realize how hard it is. And they realize how tough they have to be. And they realize that they are a disciple not just a convert. So two questions for you to answer. Number one, can you be corrected? Not talking about by God at, at, at first here. Just talking about human to human. Can you be corrected? Are you correctable? Are you teachable? Are you trainable? If you are not, if you cannot be taught, if you cannot be trained, if you cannot be corrected by a human being, by someone who you can see face to face, how in the world can you be corrected by God who you can't see? 
But there are people who really struggle with this. They are uncorrectable. They are unteachable. They are untrainable. Again, back to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But if you hate correction, he says, I didn't say it. He said it. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Wow. That, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> tell me something. Tell me what you really think. Like, that's really, really strong. Why is he so strong in this? Because this is the life of the Christian. You have to be correctable. If you are not correctable, you're going to have a really, really hard time. 15 and 32. Again, those who disregard discipline despise themselves. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Can you be corrected? Can you be trained? Can you be taught? Just in the natural. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Because how are you going to do it in the spiritual if you can't do it in the natural? I have a picture on the screen of, well, any of you know what this is? Okay, and what, what kind of shoes are those? Uh, who said that? But yeah, those are point shoes. Good. Those are point shoes. Now, I used to think that ballet was like darts. I used to think that dance in general was like darts or pool or something or cards. Yeah, this is, this is not a sport, you know, I dance. This is, uh, you know, this is what I used to think until our daughter at the age of three got into dance. And she's still into dance today, 17 years later, okay? And so, you know, here I am, ignorant about dance, and she got into ballet, she got into jazz, contemporary, musical theater, and competed. Uh, she has competed in uh, various uh, big venues in Montreal. She was in the, the Nutcracker, uh, our, our beloved uh, rat, for one season of the Nutcracker at Place des Arts, in front of thousands of people. Uh, she uh, has competed in Quebec, in Ontario, in New York State, and, uh, and teaches uh, at the same studio that she grew up in, uh, right here in Brossard. And boy, oh boy, did her ignorant dad learn a respect for dance by going to these competitions and watching our daughter perform. Oh my word, you talk about correction. Huh. I see Martine, she's nodding her head. She knows what point shoes are. You know how much correction you have to endure if you want to dance well? Oh, you, they're, they're, all they're doing is correcting you. You're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. Training, teaching, another class, another, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how expensive dance is either. <laughs> but wow, you talk about discipline, you talk about training and correction. I showed this picture to my daughter last night. As soon as she saw the picture, she said, well, there's a mistake. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, look at the shoe. I said, what's wrong with the shoe? She said, the elastic is sewn on the outside. Don't you see it? I said, what? See the little elastic that's up there? The elastic band is hanging on the outside of the shoe. If you're in competition and you are in point shoes and you are dancing to Tchaikovsky and you're in front of judges and 500 people, you know what you're going to, they're going to spot that. 
and they're going to say, well, that needs to be corrected. Huh? You say, what? Uh, uh, folks, you talk about a sport. Oh, my word. It is impressive. And to be able to stand there on a stage dressed in these costumes and, I mean, you're, you're, in, you're, you're in front of people and it's like you've got to perform and you've got to express something and communicate a message and you're being judged and you've got spotlights blaring on you and you're just alone on that stage, folks. You've got nothing but people staring at you. You know how hard that is? Oh, wow, did I ever gain a respect for that sport and admiration and great respect for my daughter and all of her achievements uh, in this sport. Fantastic. Uh, Sean Haynes, are, are, uh, one of our electric guitar players, not here today because he has his own band called West DeVille that is very, very busy over this month. We'll see him at Christmas. Sean Haynes is also a uh, bodybuilder, as you could probably tell when you look at the guy. Well, he's a seven-time Canadian champion. Look him up online, Haynes with an I. Uh, folks, you should have a conversation with him about what he had to do to win those, comp those competitions. Talk about training. Talk about correction. Talk about discipline. Can you be corrected? Can you be trained? Can you be taught? If you can't be trained, corrected, or taught by human beings, how in the world can you be a disciple of Jesus? With great, great difficulty, folks. You have to be able to come under correction. And as a result, can you be changed? I'm going to confess to you something else that I have seen over, over 30 years of being in the church every single Sunday. This is going to come as a big shock to you, okay? People typically don't change. You say, what are you talking about? You, the, the, the whole message of Christianity is change. I agree. I totally agree. But I'm just telling you an observation. People typically don't change. So that must be very frustrating. Your whole thing, the whole thing is about change. Oh, yes, it's very frustrating. Very frustrating. But people typically don't change. Now, life changes, and sometimes, you know, you adjust along with life. But do you change as a result of correction? You've been corrected. Do you now change the way that you do things, the way that you think, the way that you talk? If you're, if you're in a, a particular sport, do you change as a result of being corrected? We call this uh, being coachable. And do you therefore improve as a result? Because you've been corrected, you improve and you change. And you see the results in life. You see the fruit of the fact that you've been corrected and you now change. Hmm. On the screen, I have a picture. This is in my, uh, my sport, and this is uh, in baseball. The Texas Rangers just won the World Series. Probably most of you don't care. It seems like very little people did because it was the least rated World Series in the history of broadcasting the World Series on television. It had the lowest ratings. But a very interesting story. 
a team that lost 102 games two years ago, the worst season that they've had in 50 years as an organization, in just two years, won the World Series. It's never been done before where a team with 102 losses two years prior won the World Series. There's been two teams that had 101 that did it in like 1969 and 1914, I think it was. And this crazy team pulled this off and shocked everybody. Why? Because of correction and because of change as a result. And you see the fruit. But it's not very glamorous, this kind of thing. Maybe that's why nobody was watching. Well, I was watching with great interest because that's a story of correction and change as a result. Can you be changed? Can you be corrected? These are the marks of a follower of Jesus. I just finished uh, or am in the very end of the process uh, with our district of Quebec. Our church is part of a part of a like 1,200 of them across Canada, but we're organized by districts, and we're part of the District of Quebec, about 130 churches in the province, and the district officers and leaders have been after me for, I don't know, three, four years, and they say, you should become a coach. Then they have a vision, and the vision is that no pastor should be alone. And every pastor should have a coach. And a coach, it's not counseling. It's very different than that. It's a process of helping the person to clarify their goals and to reach their goals in ministry and help them with the roadblocks that they have and help them to you know, answer their own questions and this kind of thing and support them and challenge them and all of that. So I finally said, okay, okay, I'll do what you want me to do or whatever. I said, well, there's a process you have to go through. Oh, no, a process. You have to go for two days of full training here and then two days of full training there. Oh, two full days, you know. And you have to sit in front of people and they analyze you and how you are coaching. You stand there, you got a coach, you got a coachee, hypothetical situation, and everybody is sitting around watching you and critiquing you. That you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, while you're talking. You're trying to coach somebody, coach somebody, and you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. It's a very humiliating process. But can you be corrected and can you change? Can, and that's what a disciple does. Now take that and put that in the sphere of coming under God's correction and God's transformative process. And there is even a proverb that has this. I didn't mention it on purpose. It is actually quoted by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone who he accepts as his child. Oh, 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 you mean you mean following Jesus about being corrected by him and changed by him? Yep. Well, what about the dramatic moment and all this? That's fine. You can have your dramatic moment. But are you being corrected and changed by him on a daily basis? Yes or no? If you're not, your Christianity is at a very, very surface level. 
very surface are you doing the non-glamorous work of learning to follow Jesus you say how do I do that I, I, I will I will give you I'll give you some homework that's really really fast really fast really really doesn't take a lot of your time but it's really really hard to do and musicians you can come up if you're in the room we're going to close in prayer I'm going to just give you some homework to do it's even faster than reading a proverb a day. Really, even faster. But it comes under that whole thing. Remember Jesus said you take up your cross daily. And something of you has to, has to die every day. You know what that is? That's your, your stubborn will to be uncorrectable and unchangeable. That's what needs to go every day. So... You want some homework, you go to God every day, once a day. It'll take you 30 seconds to do it. But the question is, do you mean it or do you not mean it? And you go to God and you say, God, today, and sometimes this is better to do in the morning before your whole day starts, but that's up to you. And you go to God, it'll take you 30 seconds to do. And you say, God, today... I'm going to be corrected by you, and I'm going to be changed by you. And you give him license to correct you and to change you. Really fast to do, but you mark my words, it's hard to do. You get up in the morning before you start your day, and if that's the only prayer you can pray, and you have no prayer life whatsoever, that is a magnificent prayer prayer to pray. God, today I want to be corrected by you and I want to be changed by you. Watch what's going to happen in your day. <laughs> you do that every day. You pray that prayer every day. If that's the only prayer you pray, no problem. I have no problem with that because that is the prayer and the walk of a disciple. Would you stand with me, Father? We thank you for your word today. We thank you for the great challenge that we see in this old book of Proverbs. And Lord, may it be so in our lives. Uh, this, this world is too crazy. Life is too short for us to be wasting our time. So Lord, we want to be people who truly serve you, who truly walk with you, who truly follow you. Challenge us, we pray. Correct us, we pray, and grow us, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everyone. Remember, if you have kids in screen 11, to pick them up. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. So I'll cherish
I will clear 